Lachlan, and I'm going to help us read through the Bible today. If you have a Bible from up the back, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2. If you have any Bibles, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 39 to 52, and that can be found on page 910. I'll give you a moment to find it. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Every year his parents travelled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was twelve years old, he went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, they were returning, the boy stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know. Assuming he was in the travelling party, they went a day's journey. At, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him amongst relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him sitting at the temple among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all of those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them, Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and with people. Rich man said to Joseph, Master Joseph, make me a useful and beautiful seat. Joseph was in distress because the wood he'd bought was too short. So eight-year-old Jesus said to him, don't worry, Dad. Take one hold of the wood by one end. I'll grab the other. We'll stretch it out. And the plank stretched. Later, 12-year-old Jesus was playing outside the workshop of a dyer. Jesus went in and put all the undyed cloth into an indigo solution. The owner was very upset. Jesus, people want all different colours. Jesus replied, I will change the cloth to any colour you want. And he did. Well, these are two of the many strange made-up stories of Jesus as a tween and a teen in sources written a long time after Jesus lived. See, people felt the need to make up stories about Jesus in his teenage years because the Bible is mainly silent. Our only record is the one that um, Lockie just read. And it's a little bit blah, isn't it? No self-discovering Marvel superhero there, was there? Just some forgetful parents and a non-community of 12-year-old. What is going on? Well, this scene, it brings to an end Luke's carefully constructed introduction section. Faithful Israel have been waiting and waiting patiently for God to fulfill his Old Testament promises of a tangible salvation through his Messiah. God's messengers have turned up, his angel and his prophets, and they've announced the wait is over. Jesus is the promised saviour. And now Luke, he brings all of those things together with a final messenger. 
Jesus speaks for himself and he explains who he is and his purpose in life. And if we want to understand Jesus, we will listen to him. Now, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to walk these three days with Mary, Joseph and Jesus. And it is a roller coaster of emotion. And it begins with excitement because it's road trip time. Every year, Mary and Joseph would travel the four days from Nazareth all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover was the Jewish festival where they celebrated God's deliverance of his people from Egypt many centuries before. Again, Luke is reminding us that Jesus' parents were pious. They were God Bible readers and Bible obeyers. They were part of faithful Israel who were waiting patiently. Now, due to the dangers of bandits, families would travel or go on road trips all together. They would make this big, long caravan to protect themselves. The women and children would walk at the front, the men at the back. Okay, on this morning, the alarm had gone off. Time to go. Jesus, 12-year-old, he grabs his bags. He's about to leave. Now, we don't know this, but this could have been his first ever Passover trip because it was a milestone year for Jesus. For in Jewish culture, the move from 12-year-old to 13-year-old was the move from child to man. Mary and Joseph had spent 12 years investing in their child. Every night, reading God's word with Jesus, celebrating the festivals, going through, obeying the law, training him in holiness, training him in wisdom so that he was ready to be a man. And we read there that the effort was blessed by God, for Jesus was growing strong and wise. And so now, 12-year-old Jesus, they take him on a road trip, maybe to just finish off that instruction to celebrate God's saving work. In this little passage, Jesus, Luke is reminding us of the humanity of Jesus. As we imagine Jesus... He underwent the same physical and mental development as any other boy in the village. How did Jesus learn? He learned by listening and talking with mum and dad. He grew in wisdom by reading his Bible. He learnt about who he was and God's plan by reading the Old Testament. Well, after arriving safely in Jerusalem, the family ate They prayed, they celebrated God and his saving works for seven days. And then what did they do? They gathered all the things and the caravan stood up and it started the three-day walk home. But then verse 44, assuming Jesus was in the travelling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. The week before Jill and I moved to Orange, we went to Sydney City with our friends and we walked the Harbour Bridge and we walked down to the Opera House and then our two boys decided they would scoot ahead and they decided to go back the same direction we'd come instead of going on the loop that we were taking. Suddenly they were gone. I remember the feeling going, where were they? And that frustration you have 
turns to fear very quickly. Time slows down when kids are lost. Now, thankfully, they decided to backtrack. They found a security guard and and we reconnected with hugs and relief, right? Well, Mary and Joseph, they took Jesus with them to Jerusalem and left without him. As the caravan of 50 to 100 people left Jerusalem, they understandably assumed Jesus was somewhere in the caravan, somewhere with their family or with friends. And they actually didn't worry until the end of the first day when each individual family would gather for a family meal. Mary turned to to Joseph. Have you got him? I thought you had him. Didn't you check? Go and check with his uncle. We need to go back now. I think it's important to say there is absolutely no evidence of parental neglect. None. Okay? It is understandable. And actually what we read is Jesus intentionally stayed and we will find out why soon. Excitement, concern, and now astonishment. Verse 46. After three days, they found Jesus in the temple sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. We think three days after they left Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph finally found Jesus. Utter relief. No doubt lots of slobbery kisses for their 12-year-old, right? Or a rub on the head. But that relief quickly changed to two contrasting emotions. Firstly, they were astonished. Jesus was not out with his mates. He was in that temple court, sitting at the feet of religious teachers as a student. He was listening. He was learning. He was participating. We read the religious teachers were also astonished at the understanding Jesus had of God's word. Luke says, here is a young man thirsty to know God more. Interestingly, in the future, he'll return to the same temple and not be a student, but he will teach them what's going on. But Mary's astonishment quickly moves to frustration. She doesn't sing the Magnificat again, right? She expresses her hurt. See 48, son... Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Mary and Joseph, they've been filled with anxiety. They don't understand what's going on. So in response, Jesus brings clarity to the situation. Verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked them. The 12-year-old does not reply with a grunt or a one-word answer. He is humanly surprised at all the fuss. Why is he surprised? Because he expected his parents to be in the know. Now, I don't think that means that they should have known that he stayed behind as they left. I don't think it's that. What I think Jesus is saying is, is they have known from God's messengers who Jesus is. Their biblical instruction of him every night, morning and night, round the meal, have clearly shown them and him his identity 
and purpose. That his life trajectory was always towards the temple, the centre of Israel, where God is at work. I think Jesus' surprise is, Mum and Dad, you had enough information. But not wanting them to be confused, Jesus explains his identity clearly. See it there in 49 again? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Seconds before this, Mary had called him son and had said, Joseph is your father. And now Jesus says, I needed to be in my father's house. This is not the talk of a foolish 12-year-old. What Jesus is saying here is that the true and living God is my father. Yahweh is my father. And that is something that no Israelite would ever do. David Gooding says this, in the long biblical record, not even Moses who built the tabernacle, not David who had longed to build the temple, nor Solomon who built it, nor king, prophet or commoner, not even the most exalted of them had ever referred to the tabernacle or temple as my father's house. Jesus was conscious of a relationship with God that no one had conceived of or expressed before. That little word, my, is Jesus saying, I know my relationship with God is different from, deeper than anything ever known. Now, we don't feel the shock, do we? Because we've got Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Christians, we're told, you can pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why? Because Jesus Christ saves you and me to be part of the same family as him, where he first could say, Father. But at this point, it's a shock. But it wasn't new. Twelve years before, the angel had announced, Jesus is going to be the Son of the Most High. That's a reference back to 2 Samuel 7, of God's promised forever king, whom Israel had been waiting for. And look what it says in 2 Samuel 7. I will be his father He will be my son. I think Luke records this event to challenge false notions about Jesus. If you're sitting here this morning thinking Jesus was just an ordinary boy, then you're not reading the Bible because Jesus is either a deluded brat or he's telling the truth. Those who understand Jesus recognize him as the promised son of God who is in complete unity with God the Father. Everything Jesus does and says in the gospel ahead will be the will of the Father. To claim we follow Jesus is to claim we follow the divine Son of God. What's your purpose in life? My headmaster said to me when I was 12. I had no idea. I couldn't ask Google, wasn't invented. He, gave, he then gave this talk about life's like a pizza and you add toppings and therefore you get out of life whatever you put in. I had no idea then. I actually have no idea of that one now, actually. <laughs> Unlike me at 12, Jesus knew exactly 
what his purpose in life was. See it there in 49 again? It was necessary for me to be in my father's house. See that word necessary? There's no other option. Jesus says, this is it. I've got to be here. Why? Because I've got to do God's work. His heart desire was to do God's work. Now that firstly was to dwell in the house of the Lord. Just as the perfect Israelite was going to. Psalm 27 on the screen. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord, seeking him in his temple. There is no other place the perfect Israelite would want to be. But actually, there's more going on here, right? For the temple was the hub of Israel's relationship with God. God met with his people at the temple. God revealed who he was at the temple. God enabled people to be in relationship with him through sacrifices at the temple. It's at the temples that Zechariah, Anna and Simeon had come in prayer in faith to wait for God to fulfill his promises. It was where God's messengers had come to announce the wait was over, that Jesus the Saviour King had arrived. But by the age of 12, Jesus had learned from reading his Bible with his mum and dad that his purpose in life was to do the work of the Father. And that's what he keeps saying through the gospel. I am here to do the work of my Father. So it was necessary for him to come to the temple because his work was to fulfill what the temple stood for. And here's the big thing. His work would be to replace the temple. From now on, he would be the place where you would encounter God. He would be the place where God would reveal himself. And on the cross, he would offer himself as the sacrifice for sinful people so that they can be friends with God. If you want to worship God acceptably... You don't go to the temple anymore. You go through Christ to God. And what would Jesus achieve? He would build a house, 2 Samuel 7. What's the house? Not of stone, but a household of all nations, a house of people, of Jews and Gentiles. You see, why does Luke include this very strange passage? It's so that you and I will understand the change of focus in Israel, that God's focus has moved from temple to his son. And those who understand will get their focus right. Phase one, excitement. Phase two, concern. Phase three, astonishment. Phase four, clarity. Phase five, well, the family. They're reunited. Jesus lives a parent-honouring life, continues to grow in wisdom and godliness for the next 17 years. But phase five ends with confusion. Mary's confusion is surprising because for the first two chapters of Luke, she has got it over and over again. So why does she struggle this time? Maybe it was the 12-year gap between the last um, message from Anna and Simeon today. Maybe that gap. Or maybe she just couldn't correlate 
what the angel and the prophets had said with her little 12-year-old boy? We actually don't know. But here's what we do know, is that Mary's confusion in Luke 2 is typical of how everyone else in Luke's gospel responds to Jesus. Everyone. Throughout Luke, the crowds confused, the religious leaders confused, Jesus' family confused, Jesus' disciples confused. You see, Jesus challenges our understanding of God and our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of life. To not be confused at some level is probably means you haven't engaged with the real Jesus because his claims are bigger than we can imagine. His demands are more than we want to give. And you cannot put Jesus neatly in a box and say, I've got him. You see, when we engage with the real Jesus, our response is often confusion. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was a wave of understanding that came across the world. How did it happen? Well, Just like how Jesus explained the Bible to the guys on the road to Emmaus, God the Spirit helps people like us understand the Bible. Christians are not smart people who work it out. Christians are Spirit-endowed people who only with God's help can see. It's the spirit that gives us courage. It's the spirit that gives us understanding. It's the spirit that gives us faith to follow him. If you are growing as a Christian at the moment, it's because God is helping you grow. But that doesn't mean we're passive, right? You see Mary's response, 51? Jesus' mother kept all these things in her heart. You see, she was confused, but she didn't reject Jesus' rebuke. And when she was embarrassed by her son, she didn't run away. Mary didn't harden her heart because God's word was hard for her. No, no, she listened and she kept it in her heart. What a beautiful image. What does that mean? She thought about it. She opened her Bible for answers. She prayed through her confusion. She wrestled with her heart because she wanted to know her Lord. You see, the path to spirit-empowered growth is not sitting on our bums in church hoping God will do it. No, no, it is robust prayer, pondering, questioning, discussions, and searching the Scriptures. And this, my friends, includes the Old Testament. Because if we want to understand who Jesus is and what God is doing in his saviour, we need to read how it all points to him. But as we wrestle, we do so with a beautiful promise. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus promises this. He will reveal himself to all who knock. Anyone who knocks on the door, he will open and reveal himself. God, the Spirit gives us insight and clarity and we wrestle with passion to know our God. Now, one of sport's key disciplines is focus. Where your head is going, 
your body follows. It's most obvious in swimming. All of you who have been to carnivals in the last two weeks, you've seen this, right? Because when a swimmer starts looking at the swimmer in the next lane, they swim into the lane rope. When a person doing backstroke tries to look backwards and see what's happening, they sink. Because where your head goes is where your body goes. Luke is writing to people like us, searching people, looking for hope and security and peace. That's who we are. We are searching people. And we live in a world which says this, you will find hope and security and peace by looking inwards by looking into yourself, by focusing your life on yourself. This is what Burton calls it. She says this, We live in a world of a religion of emotive intuition, self-creation, self-improvement and selfies that promise meaning, purpose and community. The constant message we get, and we are hearing it everywhere, is focus inward, you will find freedom. Focus inward, it's progressive. Focus inward, it's radical. But the truth is, the I world work, world, the I world does not lead to hope or security or peace. Because when you focus inward, it's just another form of consumerism, which will leave its customers always claustrophobic and lonely. Today we've heard Jesus speak for himself. He's sure of his identity and he's sure of his task as God's promised saviour. And what is his message? Focus on him. He alone offers release from sin, release from guilt, lasting peace and certain hope and so much more. He is the truth that can set us free. And so, Christian brothers and sisters, that is why we run the race with our eyes fixed on Jesus. He gives us certainty of salvation. And for those of you who are parents or grandparents, that is why as we raise Christian kids, our one and only goal is that they would focus on Jesus. And those of you who lead ministries, what is our goal? that the people in those ministries, your growth group members, your kids' church members, your youth group members, your um, ragamuffins, they would focus on Jesus. And as we talk to our friends and neighbours, we don't point them to ourselves. We don't point them to a church building. We point them to Jesus. Because in Jesus, God's saving work is focused and fulfilled. Let's pray. Lord God, sharpen our focus off ourselves and onto your son. He is the fulfillment of all you are doing. In his name, amen.